This is Hard Rock Saves the Space Dandy, a retro science fiction podcast where we take a look at Asian multimedia from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm your host, Dave, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 2. This will be the first full-length episode, and we'll pick up where we left off so we can finish up the Zerum OVA episodes with 4, 5, and 6. Starting with Episode 4, this one was entitled Broom Tree. And unlike last time, this episode begins with a cold open, with Iria engaged in combat with Zerum. The, the nature of these OVAs, um, they form one, essentially one three-hour-long film. Um, and, and in this case, the cold open is a little bit jarring compared to uh, what we found last time with Iria uh, overlooking Tawajan. Uh, it definitely sets a specific tone and lets the viewer know that things are going to start picking up the pace uh, just a little bit. However, we're quick to find that the battle itself is uh, just a training session and Iria is in fact safe, safe at her apartment um, after her escape from the Tedan Tipidai Corporation with her buddy Bob. And Bob's digital avatar is now temporarily um, housed in Iria's, I guess it's a home computer. We don't really get a sense of time um, having passed, or at least a sense of how much time has passed. And I think that's one of my issues with the, the, the format that the series has decided to go with here. As a viewer, it's easy to understand that there's a sense of immediacy um, in a lot of these events. Zerum is a current and ongoing threat to um, not only mice, I guess, but the, the, the safety of the immediate um, solar system. But when the scenes jump around as they do um, between the ending of one episode and the beginning of another, it can be it's a little bit jarring. Um, here, I think in particular, uh, choosing to begin in, in the middle of a battle, e- even a fake one, was, I mean, it's a logical decision as far as pacing is concerned. It immediately puts you back into the action. But at the same time, I think it um, makes things feel a little bit rushed. And um, the strange, I guess, sense of time compression uh, doesn't benefit the latter half of this series with as much information and world building as they begin to cram into um, episodes 4, 5, and 6. That aside, I did really enjoy the sequence with the VR training. The technology is fairly interesting in of itself. It uh, sort of combines a holodeck experience where the environment that Yuria is training in appears to have like a real-world impact on her. However, when she's taken out of the simulation, she's not in, like, a dedicated room to it. It's, as far as I can tell, it's all transmitted to her via a pair of training goggles. And she's literally just kind of in the middle of her apartment, which begs to question what are the boundaries within, like, this VR setting. Um, If she moves too far, she's just going to, like, trip over her couch or run into the computer terminal um she can't see anything that's outside of the the training session um as far as we're like made aware um but bob is also there to guide her i guess or not really guide her but evaluate her on her mm, conflict with zerum and judge her performance and giving her feedback on if she would have survived or if her tactics that she's using are 
potentially going to be effective. Of course, uh, Erie and Pop aren't alone here, and we uh, get the reintroduction of our good buddy Fujihuro, who has he's uh, just let himself into his apartment, as I guess he seems to want to do. Um, this time bearing a present because it is Iria's birthday. And according to hunter regulations, um, this is the age that she can attain full hunter status and be given her hunter's license, as well as a, a nifty hunter number, 9799-5, and a new full-fledged hunter's necklace. Um, this... This is similar to the uh, Magatama design that she had earlier, with which um, Komimasa and Kei and the other um, street urchins uh, identified her as an apprentice hunter. And while the trio go to get everything approved at the hunter's headquarters, uh, the scene shifts uh, back to Taojan, where we find the the local government has used. Um, Zerum's rampage through the through the slums as an excuse to do some aggressive remodeling. They're just redeveloping the area and sending construction robots around to demolish all the old buildings. This, of course, is incredibly inconvenient to the to the slum residents who are fleeing for their lives from these um, construction robots and the collapsing debris. We also get the return of Kei and Komimasa, um, who have decided to take this opportunity to flee to mice. Uh, they're intending on stowing away aboard a um, transport ship, which, of course, by accident or design, and in this case, um, design, um, the ship that they pick ends up belonging to one Dr. Toka, who was mentioned in passing by Bob when they were aboard the karma freighter Dr. Toka of course is the single greatest um, expert on Zerum on either mice or Tawajan we don't, we don't get a uh, larger view of the solar system really ever in at least in the OVA series so out of the two planets he's the number one guy when it comes to Zerum of course, that isn't the uh, end of the helpful coincidences here. While Komimasa and Kei sneak aboard uh, Dr. Toka's ship, the good doctor is forcibly kidnapped, um, taken hostage, and um, ushered aboard the, the ship to head to mice by a group of reactionaries, revolutionaries, um, you guys that want to get money from the, the ransom to rebuild their homes. Uh, it's not really clear. Uh, or if it was made clear, I didn't, I didn't notice. However, these guys are dressed a little um, differently. And um, each of them are wearing headbands with like a feather stuck into it. I think really this, <laughs> this just serves as a way um, to identify them later, uh, as we'll find out. I guess since I'm uh, describing 
these kidnappers. It would be remiss of me to not uh, take a look at what Dr. Toka is wearing. Um, now, his dress in particular isn't really any different uh, stylistically um, as what we've seen from Glenn and Erie and the, other, and the, and the hunters. Uh, he has maybe more ornate designs on his robes. But what we do get are um, his hair beads. So, while these aren't a mark of rank, um, they may be something more of a like a social standing. Um, Glenn had a few more beads in area. Area, of course, uh, has just the three minus the one that she's given to Kay. But Dr. Toka has like. He's the man with all the beads. He has beads on all of his strands of hair. Um, and he otherwise thinks very highly of himself. Um, he, he's the self-professed expert on Zerum. But uh, just his general body language um, and his tone of voice, he comes off as someone that's... that's really self-confident, um, very haughty. He's also, like, roughly the height of a child, um, which uh, is always a fun trope of the older, very tiny, um, professor or elder, or anyone really with any kind of any position of power as they age, they seem to shrink in, in series like these. Uh, regardless, uh, there's not a lot of time um, given to this scene here, and things quickly move on from Tawajan back to Mice. Again, we get one of those strange um, time skips that the the latter half of the series is prone to. While Iria, Bob, and uh, Fujikuro are, are busy getting her hunter's license, and Bob is... He's perpetually just hacking into things. Um, he likes to keep his hands busy. His um, digital hands. Um, he finds that there's been uh, the, well, I guess, the kidnapping situation with um, Doctor Toka, who the the group that's kidnapped him. They've made their landing on um, mice, and a hunter team has been sent out to rescue Doctor Toka. But the the team was all wiped out. Um, and given the fact that uh, Bob clearly knows Dr. Toka is the, the resident expert on Zerum, as well as the substantial reward involved in um, rescuing him, he uh, offers Iria the chance to take up this job, I guess. No, it's, it's framed a little weird uh, whereas Bob was handing out assignments before uh, he's supposed to be dead so I don't I don't know how official his assignments would be within the organization um, or how these nominations take place it's, uh, this is one thing that I wish the series had, had uh, would have had space to develop a little bit more um, is the Hunter organization I'm really interested in that and it's uh, it's just something taken for granted within this world um, that these um, that 
Gomvac Security Industries is um, Gomvac Security Investigations. I think so. The investigations uh, group of this Hunters Guild, maybe. Yeah, I really. It would have been good if they spent a little bit more time on this part of it, um, or at least had some other space to flesh it out. There, there is a. Um, an Iria PC game. Um, I think you can probably track down a, a ROM for it. Well, maybe not so much anymore, but for a while you were able to track down a ROM for it. And uh, I, I don't know, I think it was a side-scrolling platform or so. There probably really wasn't any more um, information built into it, but that's something that I might bear, bear looking into um, before we finish up this season. But uh, that aside, uh, Iria takes the job, uh, of course, um, much to Fujikuro's um, displeasure. He uh, he thinks that just getting involved with the doctor is asking for trouble. Um, he really doesn't want anything more to do with Zerum, uh, although Zerum is a threat to everybody. So some of his reluctance um, from here and throughout the series, or throughout the end of it, is um, a little weird given his profession. Uh, I mean, it's nice to see that he's he's continually the voice of reason and kind of providing counterpoints to Iria's brashness and Kay's impulsiveness as we, as we see the show move forward with Bob. Maybe it's because he's divorced of his physical body now. Um, he's... He's all in for, for any of these jobs. He just wants, I think, I think he wants the best um, for Iria moving forward. Um, while Zerum is this great immortal alien threat uh, to him, and I think even to the hunters, this is just like par for the course. Um, the crazy space monster isn't any different than you know, this hostage situation, they they don't see it as something troublesome, but just another, just another, you know, day on the job. Um, and that's an interesting outlook. One that um, would be pretty interesting to see in other series, particularly in um, shows from this era, late, late 80s and early 90s, a lot of these protagonists are dealing with situations uh, where maybe it's their their last big job. Um, it's not too often that that the uh, the protagonist is a uh, apprentice moving into a full fledged position, um, or someone that is capable but still not as experienced as they as they could be I don't know it's, I think it's something that just bears a little bit more looking into um, moving forward with uh, with this podcast and seeing if these tropes play out in different ways uh, in, in other media and seeing that as these uh, this show in particular, Wears its influence on its sleeves. Um, it's it's taking cues from Alien, as we mentioned. Um, 
Terminator, uh, various Western um, science fiction uh, films, and um, sort of working within that inspiration, but using the sort of unique framework that uh, Keita Amamiya is, is, is fond of, and uh, particularly in the film that precedes Zerum with um, Mirai Ninja or Cyborg Ninja it was released in the, in the West so let's see while uh, Iria and company go to um, accept the mission and head off after Dr. Toka the, the scene shifts and uh, we're treated to a return of Kei and Kumimasa making their way through the um, abandoned structure that the, the kidnappers have holed up in. They, they were, uh, Kei and Kumimasa had, had um, stone away in the cargo compartment of the ship, so they, they weren't detected by the um, kidnappers originally. This uh, leaves them free to kind of roam around there, and the two kids are treating the whole thing as a just one big adventure. Really, there's um, no no sense of danger uh, on their part. Uh, as a matter of fact, Kumimasa is more concerned with finding food um, than really to escape um, the situation that they're in. And it's uh, it's revealed, of course. Well, K had initially convinced Komimasa to head to Mice because um, Kay has a brother uh, living there that they could um, stay with that uh, that ended up being uh, somewhat of a lie and the only person Kay knows on Mice is Iria and this is just an excuse for Kay to meet back up with uh, Iria. And as the duo are digging around, they um, come across a briefcase filled with Zerum data. And of course, this, this turns up now to be um, Dr. Toga's briefcase, and they run into the good doctor. Uh, shortly thereafter, um, he's just left to his own devices, tied to a chair, and the, the kids ultimately um, free him and uh, attempt to make their escape from the, the facility. As that's happening, we return to Iria and Bob, who uh, end up making use of the transporters in probably my, my, my favorite way that they show um, in the series. They, um, they've arrived at one of the transport gates, and uh, according to Bob, they've basically rented out um, three transport sessions. And uh, Iria wants to make the best use of those, so she sends a camera through the transport gate to the location of the hostage takers. And through the the viewing lens of the camera, she's able to aim a sort of stasis gun and fires that, freezing um, two of the hostage takers uh, with the, the shield crystals. Uh, however, the third figure in the uh, hangar resembles her brother so that gives her pause and um, instead of firing the gun she uses the third transport ticket to uh, to drive the uh, creeper 
into the hangar and chase after uh, who she thinks is her brother. Eventually, she meets back up with uh, Kei Komimasa and Dr. Toga and uh, faces off against, uh, I guess, Zayram Glenn. Um, it turns out that the, who she sees, while, uh, while it appears to be her brother, it's actually a clone that uh, Zayram has created uh, by assimilating um, living cells from his victims. I guess it's victims. However, despite being a clone, uh, Glenn is still quite capable uh, when it comes to hand-to-hand combat, and uh, Iria is forced to withdraw. Mm. She has to bide a little bit of time uh, for the others because uh, the the creeper was damaged um, on the way in through the teleport gate. But fortunately, Kay is able to repair the damage to the balancer on the creeper, uh, which becomes an important um, bit of foreshadowing for uh, Kay's character and um, capabilities that will become integral to uh, the defeat of Zerum in, in the future. And that pretty much wraps up uh, the, this episode of um, the OVA. Which brings us to the start of episode 5, entitled Wind Song. Uh, I watched each of these a few times um, to sort of prepare for the podcast and familiarize myself with what was going on. Uh, of the, la- the latter half um, in the OVA series, episode 5 is probably my least favorite as far as pacing is concerned. It's a little bit slower. Um, it also opens with and uh, Iria aboard the Kraper and they're they're heading toward um, Iria's hometown, uh, Batabijira, for an unspecified reason. Um, they don't elaborate on that, and and ultimately, I, I think what they're what they're doing is showing uh, Iria's way of grieving for her, her brother. Um, she hasn't really been able to do that. Um, she, of course, she originally thought he was dead, and then now he's been returned to her uh, in, in the form of a Zerum clone, and that's that's troubling. Um, she she spent the, the last half of the, of the previous episode um, not only fighting with the Glenn clone, but um, also herself. Um, trying to rationalize whether or not um, what she's facing is in fact um, like a, maybe it's her brother and he's brainwashed uh, or he's in a form that can be um, freed I guess from, from Zerum's control so she's hesitant the entire time and she's not fighting to the, to the full um Capabilities uh, that she has as a hunter. Uh, however, um, that being said, the the clone also doesn't have the full access to you know Glenn's um, fighting capability, and that's that's evidenced by um, Bob directly telling her um, that uh, you know he's monitoring the fight, and he says if this if this was not a clone of your brother, um, he would already have he would have already killed you. So she's dealing. Um, with that, basically, it's a, 
traumatic situation, um, especially as sudden as it as it appears. She's not. Uh, it's not like a gradual reveal. It's it's a it's a sudden thing under the pretense of an already stressful situation. You know where she's uh, trying to free a hostage. So um, this flashback we get uh, is her brother. Um, teaching her how to shoot uh, I guess target practice with the um, Kajakunban plants um, the Kajakunban we see a little bit or we saw earlier uh, in Iria's assault on the um, Tedan Tepedai uh, corporation headquarters she made use of the Kajakunban leaves um, because they're, resist- they're heavily resistant to gunfire and um, act as shielding against the security guards. But here, uh, in this flashback, she's using them as target practice. Um, the the Kajakunban grow, um, I guess, to describe them, they're vaguely mushroom-shaped with a, um, a large brim, single leaf, and then a stem. Um, they also look a lot like Zerum's hat, so these uh it's a design motif we'll see um, throughout the series but uh in this flashback um she's she's tasked with shooting the stems um of the kajakunban in the they grow in like a sort of close together grove i guess um they're maybe about a meter and a half off the ground and uh since they grow, grow, grow so close together, it's difficult to shoot the stems that are weak um, to, to, to bullets or projectiles. Um, whereas the the large dome-shaped leaf is resistant to even um, heavy, like heavy be- energy beams. It's pretty much just kind of overtly showing um, her competence uh, at target practice at a young age <laughs> and, and the closest of her and her brother as Iria finishes uh, reminiscing we're, we're treated to a scene switch um, this time between Dr. Toka and the administration uh, the administration's the governing authority of mice is basically a council of a, a few older dudes that run the whole planet um I don't know, to generic sci-fi setting <laughs> piece in this instance. Um, it's here where Dr. Toka is hes brought in by this council to advise on um, potential methods to deal with Zerum. Uh, either in this, they want something permanent, but the administration, as we find, uh, is also content just to keep pushing the problem aside. Their their plan, uh, much like the government on um, Tawajan, is perfectly content to just continually teleport Zerum into space, uh, even to the point where they, they want to devise... Um, Specialized teleporters, like custom ones, just for Zerum. Uh, when he shows back up, um, Doctor Toka, uh, they think it's a permanent solution. They'll just jettison jettison 
um, Zerum out into the void, uh, and they'll, they'll, they can wash their hands of the, the alien presence. But Dr. Toka takes um, this opportunity to point out that uh, that was already done on Tawajan. Zerum was, in fact, already teleported out into, um, into the vacuum and has just through some method or other uh, arrived on mice um, regardless uh, of being stuck out in space but it's quickly made clear that these guys are um, set in their ways and they're just gonna they're gonna go with the teleport option um, but they do give um, the, the the doctor a chance to come up with a an alternative plan um, if if provided he can find um, Zerum's one weakness and, and deal with the threat once and for all. Of course, uh, as the plot moves forward uh, from here on very briskly, uh, Dr. Toka isn't the only one privy to this um, meeting, and uh, as it turns out, Iria is also present, um, hiding above the the meeting floor. I don't, she wasn't, she was in a balcony, <laughs> courtesy of uh, Bob's information. He had hacked into the... I guess he's just perpetually hacked into the, the city's communication lines and was aware that the meeting was going to be taking place. So he let Iria know. Um, it, it, of course, he advises her to probably not um, stick around too long, but she, she wants to meet um, with Dr. Toka afterwards and discuss uh, her plan and what it might mean that um, her brother has been cloned by Zerum, or, or I guess to, to figure out if in fact um, she's dealing with her brother's clone or just some other aspect of him, a mutated version or just under control of Zerum um, uh, on the whole, and Dr. Toka is able to provide a couple uh, hypotheses uh, to, that, uh, to that note, um, <laughs> to that order I guess. This is uh, aided by the fact that at the end of the last episode, um, with, with her during her battle with her brother's clone, um, Iria took some cell samples and had provided them to Dr. Toka, who now has them floating in like little suspended uh, capsules. And the the clone fragments um, seem to be or clone the cell fragments um, seem to be resonating with uh, some sort of frequency that Zerum is producing and uh, due to that reaction um, the doctor has uh, fashioned a um, larger version of his Zerum tracking device uh, he, he had used it earlier in the, um, in the last episode and that's another connection I did want to mention to aliens the original handheld version of the tracker Resembles the motion detector from the movie Aliens, um, not only in um, the, the display, but also in the, the pinging noise it makes when um, ZRM is nearby. And in the fact that it uh, doesn't display the, like the y-axis, so you, you can only see the distance um, that ZRM is to you, but not the height, which I think is a little bit of an oversight, but... Also, it was the problem that they had in Aliens. <laughs> of course, in this setting, it really didn't make a difference that you can't tell the, the height that Zerum's at in, in, in relative, relative respect to your own position. It, it doesn't matter. 
at least not all that much. So as Iria and the Doctor are figuring out what's going on with the clones, or I guess the clone situation, um, the administration itself uh, is dealing directly with Zerum, who has reappeared, uh, not quite in person, but in uh, the form of a large swarm of Zerum clones. I think this is really where the episode sort of lets me down. Uh, the creature designs are... They're varied on the clone, so you can tell that Zerum has um, obtained samples from, or I guess genetic samples from a, across the, the galaxy. Um, there's a lot of different versions of these vaguely humanoid um, beasts that are attacking the transport facility. But, um, I don't know, something's, something's just not solid about their design. Um, I think they look a little flat, so that's probably just an issue um, with the and how old this this animation is. Um, the design itself, I don't think it's the problem. Uh, there may have just been some some failure to convey motion uh, between the concept art and um, I guess the final pro product. Taken on the whole, a lot of these creatures, they they appear. I would say that they're inspired by um, John Carpenter's The Thing. Um, the, uh, I believe that's Rick Baker's um, handiwork, and uh, those those designs are really, really they're visceral and they work as um, puppets. Uh, we see, um, unfortunately, we see later in um, the the prequel to the thing uh, that CG was not the way to go, and in this case, animation um, didn't really do that sort of um, biological horror um, aspect uh, any favors. Um, the palette, it's they suffer from lack of or like a range of colors. They're just single or maybe in most cases two two or three um, shades of color here and it it just makes them look cheap like pale imitations of the source material uh, thematically that could work uh, they technically are um, imitations of uh, other creatures so I mean if you look at it that way it's it's a serviceable um, depiction uh, we, we get the same thing with um, the detail in Glenn's original design as opposed to um, his the Zerum clone version of Glenn doesn't uh, it, it suffers from that same um, degeneration uh, of, of a secondary source so well I mean I guess in hindsight looking at it that way maybe these designs aren't as bad um uh, as initial reflection, I, I, I take that back. I'll, I'll revise my opinion, and um, they're potentially not a horrendous design choice. Um, I'll make this an extra learning experience. <laughs> so, uh, well, while these while these hordes are attacking the transport facility, um, Zerum is, is using that time to assimilate. Oh, one of the uh, larger buildings nearby, the Tanjin Kanbaran um, construction site. Th this building, along with all of the other ones, 
have uh, clear like design influences um, pretty much showing just how influential the kajakunban plants are um, on on mice so I don't know if they're specifically a, a native species but from their uh, from a usage standpoint um, and their hardiness I would say that the buildings themselves are meant to reflect that both uh, to the people of mice and maybe as well as um, off-worlders uh, coming to visit. Well, eventually Zerum isn't content to just let the clones do all the havoc wrecking and Zerum shows up wielding none other than uh, Glenn's Borobdin cannon uh, decimating the security forces uh, that are guarding the, the transports that they're sending to um, teleport uh, Serum out into space. This instance here, uh, well, while it looks cool on the screen, is something that I, on reflection, took um, issue with. I had a lot of a large problem with uh, the sheer destructive power that this um, three-barreled Borobdin cannon possesses. Uh, again, where the show doesn't get into um, the specifics on the Hunter's Guild and their official capacities that they have, this weapon, it's destroying the mobile artillery that the, the government uses. Um, it, it's capable of taking out entire buildings, and it's just left in the hands of like a single bounty hunter why does he need uh, destructive power on this level what what are they dealing with um so in this universe are like calamities like zerum commonplace the the cannon itself it doesn't show like it can overheat um but there's not a clear um like reloading mechanism uh it can i think there's lines to the effect that um, it'll run out of um, ammunition eventually but he's using it pretty um indiscriminately uh and not bothering with um like having to reload or anything like that so the the impact that this weapon has um on the the battlescape is it's it's phenomenal and to have that in the hands of one single bounty hunter doesn't jive um with the setting uh and that's also maybe an issue that i have with some of the more specialized weaponry that um, iria deploys um, everything else that she's using is more anti-personnel and not um not destructive on such a large scale but the circumstances in which uh, her equipment can be utilized seem to be very specific um, and not like in a, a broad general sense. Uh, but yeah, the, the cannon is just, it's completely overkill and um, I, don't, I don't understand why one hunter would, be, would have access to this weapon, let alone... Uh, I think I mentioned it before, but he leaves it laying around on his coat hanger um, in his apartment. It's not secured, um, not locked away. Zerum literally just pops in through a window and 
you know, steals it back, I guess, since it's, since it's technically Glenn clone. Um, it's just re-borrowing his own weapon. Um, but yeah, that's the the unnecessarily powerful um, Borobdin. It's, uh, it's great as a set piece, but um, it, it makes it makes the point um, in the the very first episode where Iria threatens um, Fujikuro with it, uh, and you don't you don't have any context at that point for how powerful this cannon is, other, other than um, Glenn and Bob and Fujikuro like well justifiably freaking out that she's pointing this at uh, you know a human being um, just as a deterrent um where she to a well she did fire it and it uh, one of its three modes um apparently is far less destructive and just kind of puts a hole in the wall uh but had she had it set or not realized what it was set to it would have like obliterated the apartment um i don't know it's <laughs> it was just a uh, it's excessive force um in a situation that clearly did not require it she could have just used one of her like myriad um other little pistols that she uses throughout this episode and, and the, the final one as well. <laughs> I don't know. That's, uh, I guess my short rant on this ridiculous weapon. But, uh, but back to Zerum. Um, while he is continuing this assault uh, on the, the troops from a distance, he hasn't left the, the roof of the building that he's begun to um, assimilate. And he's uh, ostensibly, he's guarding um, a beacon that he had uh, created to summon, uh, as we find out through Dr. Toka's um, assumptions, uh, other Zerums. There's not just one immortal space beast. There's multiple of them. It doesn't doesn't give an exact count, but just one is enough for you know destruction on multiple planets. So. More than that would be like ludicrous. Um, it's the <laughs> Zerum's the Borobdin of space beasts. I don't know, uh, <laughs> but um, he uh, Zerum hasn't left the top of that building. Um, and to counter uh, Zerum's threat, Iria shows up. Um, it's not really even in the nick of time. A lot of the stuff's been destroyed already, but uh, uh, Iria makes her entrance uh, on a cool um, little hang glider or slash kite. It's something you would see uh, in a um, like a ninja glider, I guess, um, owing to some of the design choices that uh, um, Amamiya uses uh, throughout his various universes. Um, it's like just sort of a it's, it's a hang glider um, but out of a single sheet um, something that looks like very portable that you could just keep on your person and deploy to glide down from a height <laughs> I don't know I guess um, doesn't really show where she came from I guess she just jumped off of another tall building that's dotting the area um but she shows up enough to um, stall Zerum, or at least destroy the uh, Borobdin cannon, so he can't, or so it can't just keep blasting it into the um, transport troops. 
Oh, and we do see ultimately the um, the protective abilities of the Kajikanban leaves. Uh, they even deflected point blank a Borobdin um, blast. So why don't they just make everything out of uh, the Kajikanban leaves? Uh, if everyone's armor was made out of that, which I mean, maybe her armor is made out of that. Um, but it's uh, highly effective, and um, she should use it more often. Prevent a lot of the injuries that uh, these characters take over the course of the series. Uh, here she also, uh, I think she used it once before, but she has a, uh, a chain whip sword, so it's it's, a, it's many links um, on a whip that she can that, that's flexible and can um, retract into a single blade. Uh, that's always a super cool um, visual uh, effect and it's um, not only like physically threatening but um, handy to have uh, as you can use it at, at range and, and up close um, and Zerim uh, also is not without weapon and magically pulls out a bladed staff to defend off the the chainsword that Yuria uses. Uh, we get another instance of her... Um, I think aside from the chainsword, this actually might be her her, her go-to weapon is these um, drill darts. She'll, she'll, she's used them before to push Zerim into the teleporter um, way back on Tawajan. But uh, here she has a larger version that... Um, attaches to the front of a pistol so it looks I guess reminiscent of a like a grenade launcher like a front-loading grenade launcher but um, we find out that this this Zerum um, has the Glen clone like growing inside of it I think it's using the um, Glen as a as a base uh, as the base body. So as far as I can tell, uh, the original Zerum's body was destroyed um, by Glenn on the the Karma. And all that was left was the the main body of Zerum, the floating um, headpiece with a little doll face attached to it. And I'm guessing the... that core of Zerum fused with Glenn's actual body to create the, the Zerum that we know when it's walking around that we'd originally encountered on um, Tawajan, uh, but is separate from the Glenn clone that Iria fought and um, destroyed in, in, in the previous episode. So I guess he can just spit up multiple clones of things, or, or at least things that um, the main head had uh, bitten and taken um, cell samples from. But uh, the the clone succeeds in taking control. It's a, a testament to Glenn's strong will and um, forces Zerum to become inactive for a moment uh, long enough for Iria to use her drill grenade um, to to destroy it. Uh, unfortunately, during this episode, um, Glenn's talking to Iria, and she 
isn't able to just pull the trigger because he's you know, he's just saying you know over and over just kill me make him shoot shoot me and she can't bring herself to do it um but as he's losing control and Zerum is taking back over she at the last minute you know pulls the trigger and um it temporarily um majorly wounds Zerum but in the the resulting exchange Yuri is hurt too and has to retreat to recover which wraps up uh, episode five and that brings us to the finale of the Zerum OVA series, Episode 6, Utopia. Unlike last time, this one's almost a direct um, continuation from the, the previous wind song um, ending with uh, Iria waking up the next, well, I'm guessing it's the next day. Uh, again, the time's a little bit hazy, but um, she wakes up uh, in her apartment uh, and she's healing from her... Um, fight with Zerum and um, the, the plasters she's using to heal herself are, I, I, I thought these were fairly interesting as well they're um, they look like uh, Shinto wards they have um, characters uh, inscribed upon them uh, unfortunately it's in, I think this is in the language that's um, native to the Zerum universe and it's not uh, scribbles um, <laughs> probably I haven't seen any any analysis um, elsewhere that would uh, provide otherwise, but uh, they they're aesthetically pleasing, I guess, as far as bandages go. Um, but uh, when when she takes them off, her wounds are outwardly um, fully healed. So within you know less than ten hours, probably um, the the superficial. Um, outer edges of the gas, gashes uh, she received from Serum's claws have, have disappeared. Um, however, she's still in uh, pain or muscle soreness or something. Um, I don't think they, it's not like a cure-all, but they're a, a neat bit of technology um, disguised as a just an everyday plaster. We're treated to the return of Kay and um, our I may have glossed over it, but uh, the, in the previous um, episode five, uh, Kay was revealed to actually be a little girl uh, rather than a young rapscallion, um, courtesy of uh, Fujikuro's insight. Um, it's actually a little weird. He just says he sm- she smells like a girl. Uh, but take that for what what it's worth, I guess. <laughs> it's a... I don't know. It's a weird. Um, I I, like, I know what he's saying, but the phrasing is a little strange. Um, I think he meant he just seems like a girl, or K, uh, K just seems like a girl. Uh, regardless, uh, it's not a um, not a big deal, uh, really, and just shows uh, how much K looks up to. Um, Iria, I think, uh, in, in understanding that she can also, despite having previously hid herself uh, dressing as a boy, um, she can also do a cool job um, like Iria, re- regardless of her, her gender. We also get an idea of how not only is Kay self-sufficient, she's also forward-thinking 
um, and willing to put um, other people's well-being uh, above her own. That's uh, it's a trait um, of, of a younger uh, individual as well because she has less an idea of her own um, mortality. Um, but it's not like a an, an admirable trait. Um, however, it could get her into trouble. She decides that since um, Iria is clearly wounded uh, in her last fight with Zerum, that through her own, or Kay's own um, technological prowess, she's, she's um, created a, a special weapon uh, that she um, thinks can take down Zerum, and she's willing to put her own life on the line uh, and uh, go try to solve everyone's problem uh, right now while Zerum is um, still, theoretically still recovering or in the same shape as uh, Iria and takes it upon herself to fly the Kraper out to the construction site and deal with Zerum. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, um, things don't go Kay's way, and uh, Fujikuro had f- had the foresight to know that she was going to try something um, dangerous uh, like this and had uh, taken all the fuel out of the Kraper. Um and Kay's plan actually backfires where instead of them all going together, uh, Yuria uses this chance of Kay being um, basically grounded to um, steal uh, Fujikuro's um, Dempadan um, umbrella vehicle and take off after Zerum on her own uh, while she's still injured. So it's as Fujikuro and Bob have pointed out. Um, Iria and Kay share a lot of the same personality traits. And that's, um, it's fun to see and to watch how that plays out, uh, because it gives Iria, uh, the chance to grow up. She's still, while she's a fully fledged hunter, um, she's still immature in certain ways. And she even doubts, um, her own, uh, capabilities to herself but in seeing how uh, Kay is reacting to these situations and then uh, reflecting on how she's behaved even even just I guess days before um, to, to her own brother when Glenn was um, going on the mission to the uh, near uh, the karma uh, and being sort of impulsive and bullheaded uh, she can kind of rein in those things um, herself now uh, to, to, to a small degree she's still going to just do whatever she wants I guess but she has an idea that um, she, Iria herself um, she's not uh, immortal um, she has to be more aware of her own failings and her own limitations. Uh, and while there's no problem testing the, the testing the limits of those, um, doing something utterly foolhardish, uh, foolhardy is, um, not the smartest move. And then of course she makes the, the insane, um, <laughs> decision, um, uh, in her final confrontation with Zerum, to ultimately discern uh, Zerum's weak point, uh, she decides the best course of action is to allow herself to be assimilated by Zerum um, and 
you know, check things out from the inside, as it were. And we'll, we'll see how that pans out uh, shortly. Kay, for her part, uh, isn't going to take this uh, <laughs> sitting down. Um, she's, she's resolved herself to assist Iria and has utmost faith in the secret weapon she's prepared. Uh, one way or the other, she, can, she um, convinces uh, Fujikuro to assist her in, or I guess to deliver her to uh, Iria. Um, and assist in this final confrontation. And they do so. Um, there's a there's a bit of um, fun... I think it's a light, very light combination of um, CG and uh, hand-drawn art with um, Bob traveling the data streams. Um, it... It's one of the few times where this doesn't look out of place and it's, it's, um, it's fine. Uh, but he hacks into the administration's um, teleporter control systems uh, to delay the transportation of Zerum into space. So well, what the administration has done, um, they've successfully routed um, enough of the Zerum clones to get their 11... Uh, mobile transporters in place around the building that Zerum has uh, assimilated, and they're just gonna they're just gonna teleport the whole the whole shebang um, up into somewhere up, up in outer space. Didn't um, they? Don't bother explaining the location because I don't think it really matters. They're just sending him into the uh, sending Zerum into the void. But um, it's on a it's on a timed um, countdown, and uh, Bob just delays that um it's not even by very much by maybe a minute or so again time is uh as is in the case of most things with countdowns um uh stretched out uh, far past the the actual um chronological time that it would take uh the um one one part i found quite funny the security guards for all the transport um, devices uh, were eventually they're, they're using handguns against uh, and rifles against the clones and they're for the most part those weapons are projectile weapons are not very effective uh, against the, the whatever tissue the clones are composed of um, but what they have now discovered and area found out a little bit earlier was that flame um is horrendously effective on um, these clones and i think that that's another nod to um john carpenter's the thing where fire was ultimately the um, weapon of choice uh, against uh, this biological horror um but the <laughs> the the guards using the flamethrowers, when they see how effective they are, they like they take the time to point like they put lines of dialogue where one of the guards specifically he's like, "Why didn't we do this sooner?" And yeah, maybe maybe you should have sent the flamethrower guys out first. Um, uh, I, I think it's because it's a it's a sort of a, a it's not quite melee range, but it's far shorter range. They were trying to um, whittle down the enemy forces um, at, at long range instead, but it, the clones just were overrunning them. Um, and then there are a few times when, when some of the uh, on-fire um, monsters end up like grappling with guards and just 
kill both of them in the in the, in the same go just because they're on fire. Um, and then here uh, we we find another example of uh, a one a single. It's not even a single use weapon. This one was cool. Um, so on Iria's armor, she loads in uh, it looks like a little cartridge uh, into her gauntlet and. What we find out that that is is a um, it's like a CD loader that you would put into your car CD player with the multiple um, CDs inside of it. But instead, it's some little mini chakrams um, that she spins on on her. She can pull them out of the um, the gauntlet and then just fling them with her finger, and they're sharp enough, uh, whatever they're made out of, to uh, kill the um, clones. Uh, like individually she, she has i don't know three to five of them that she flings around and uh, dispenses with some of the flying horrors that she's being attacked with um k and uh fujikuro join back up with iria and fujikuro just kind of makes his exit he's he basically he literally says he's a, a glorified babysitter at this point and um, he's kind of done with the job and just doesn't want to be involved with the monsters so he he leaves. Um, Kay follows along with uh, Iria and they ascend the inside of the, the building to get to the top uh, to meet with Zerum for the final showdown. Um, here, uh, well, aside from the uh, mini chakrams that were cool, uh, Iria uses a, a grappling hook to get to the to the roof. Um, that's her intent. Um, it's halted because of there's. Um, tentacles, tendrils maybe, um, of Zerum that are assimilating the, the building, but also trying to attack Iria. Well, as she's going up the grappling line, uh, she sees that the line itself is being compromised, so she wants to get over to an elevator. Her, her grappling hook device on her back has a little hole in the side, and it launches a sideways grappling hook but there's like no way she could aim it. She's looking upwards and it's attached to her hip, like on the back or I guess her lower back. So she would have to have like swiveled and aimed, um, her back at the, uh, elevator. She's trying to catch on to, I don't know the, the usages outside of this particular type of situation are so limited. It was just like, uh, it ended my suspension of disbelief. Um, just for this moment it it's a cool idea that that there's a multi-directional um nozzle that can fire a second grappling hook but i just don't i just have no idea how she's aiming it maybe there's a i don't know if she had her goggles on at this point maybe there's a targeting computer or something but that was a little ridiculous uh um regardless it succeeds and they're able to um ride the well, they're not really riding the elevator. It's being sucked up to the top. Um, and uh, Kay has to uh, prematurely deploy her secret weapon um, to, to save them. In this instance, it's supposed to be used for Zerum, but uh, they have to use it um, a little bit early. Uh, what it what it ends up being is that she's carrying around this large staff, and it um, the staff itself can create one of the stasis shields. And they use it to um, encapsulate 
themselves so they can crash through the ceiling and, and escape the um, the elevator unharmed, bringing us to the uh, well the the final showdown with Zerum, and also where we get a display of not one but at least two more um, oddly specific weapons uh, or tools, as the case may be, uh, <laughs> at, at, at the Iria's disposal. Um, one of which she bequeaths to Kay. It's a uh, it's a, a one winged angel glider, I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to call it. Uh, so on one one shoulder blade, um, a wing kind of pops out, um, and it's it sort of serrated blade style. Um, mm, segments and allows her to freely glide around, well not freely, but um, arrest her fall enough to um, make a controlled landing. Um, Kay expresses that this is like a super cool thing um, that when she sees it in action and Iria just on the spot it's like, oh sure, here, you can have it and detaches it and um, puts it on Kay. Plot device uh, number one, I guess. Um, but uh, the the plan is she Yuria bar- uh, borrows the special weapon um, from K and instructs K on the other hand to go destroy the uh, the beacon that Zerum has um, placed on the ground as to attract the other Zerum units um, from outer space, and she gives. Iria uh, also gives Kay uh, the other um, f- f- strange tool. It's uh, uh, I had to look up what they call these because I, I couldn't think of the name of it. Um, so a whirly gig is what it is a type of. Um, they're also called arrow props or um, f- flying dragonflies. They. It's a little handle with, uh, like, a plane propeller attached to the top. That's, that's like, the our world's version of what this thing is. Um, the uh, the Zerum universe version, the propeller blades are actual, like, knife blades, and the um, the handle that you would spin to send it flying is a, it's, it's a thin handle with a bomb on the end of it. Um... Like as a child, like as a kid, I've used these toys, and you really you can kind of aim it barely. Um, it'll kind of glide in the direction that you sent it off, but as a as far as like hitting a specific target, uh, I'd be super doubtful, um, and I'd also be worried that the wind or something would catch it and send it back to you and it would explode um, I don't know, it doesn't seem like it's a cool looking thing again but the, the actual reality um, of using something like this um, is highly dubious uh, I think of all of the things that Yuria has used in the series, this is probably the most ridiculous one um, but it uh, I don't know it's organic looking so it fits in with the theme of um, some of the technologies that they use uh, not not as much so as the um, the bamboo canister bombs, but uh, this one this one's up there, I think. Anyway, she gives that to Kay, and Kay uh, uses it to destroy the, the beacon. Um, 
and as we've seen Iria give her the little um, wing device, uh, we know that the, the Bob can only delay the teleporter for so long, and um, most of the the building is about to be sent away, and uh, Iria just boots K off the side of the building and trusts that the little um, hang glider uh, wing will uh, carry her away to safety um, at a range of the teleporter. And uh, after a couple shenanigans, um, the building uh, piece that um, Iria and Zerum are on uh, does, in fact, get teleported, but um, not into space. Um, They land in the desert. And this is the the true um, final battle between uh, the bounty hunter and the immortal space beast, Zerum. Also, it's where Iria reveals, uh, well, to the audience, um, her plan of injuring Zerum through being assimilated by it. Um, I don't know, that just sounds like a bad idea. Uh, we saw how that turned out with Glenn, and uh, wasn't so wasn't so great. Um, well, Iria does uh, use the, um, the special shield... Um, creating staff uh, to to pretty good effect. Uh, She strikes Zerum in the chest and the shield deploys, but she turns it enough where it doesn't deploy over the entire body of Zerum, but sort of like in the middle. And uh, I guess it just bisects Zerum. It cuts off um, its torso from its legs. And so the legs and lower torso or lower abdomen are are trapped in the shield Um, but the top uh, is I don't know it's pretty cool effect it kind of slides off um, and lands on Iria Uh, we we get that um, continued heavy sound effect that um, always announces Zerum and uh, it you'd think it would just crush her the thing must weigh quite a bit but um Instead, its tentacles come out and uh, begin absorbing Iria uh, while she's just sort of taking pot shots at it. Which looks to be the, the correct choice. Um, the, the blast damaged it enough that I don't think it's able to f- fully assimilate um, Iria. And she does, in fact, uh, find out its weakness. The most glaringly obvious weakness ever. It's the, the, the little head that can um, extend out of the helmet. Um, if you cut it off, it kills Zerum. So she 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 does exactly that and bisects the, the little snake tentacle um, head and uh, it withers away and Zerum dies. Uh, it's, it's kind of anticlimactic, really, if she had just done that earlier um, could have avoided a lot of these problems but uh, well um, she didn't know and uh, now now she does and it's dead there's uh, well there's a little ending with uh, her reunion um, with Kay and that's it's satisfactory um, overall uh, puts a little nice little cap on the end of um, this OVA series and I, I've uh, blathered on uh, long enough at this point now. Um, so we're going to call the uh, episode uh, to a close. Um, 
but we'll do a, a retrospective sort of wrap up uh, on the OVA series once once I've covered uh, both the live action films and kind of see how they compare uh, in about two episodes uh, of the show. So um, look look forward to that, and uh, I'm I'm interested to see what the differences are now um, after having multi- viewed these multiple times. Um, I'll do the same, of course, for the films. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was, this was a lot of fun. I've enjoyed watching these and uh, coming to terms that um, it, it's not uh, as perfect of a, a series as I had um, remembered. Um, in fact, in looking at these um, so closely, my um, I found that my mem- memory of them um, was somewhat different than what actually occurred um, through through the run of the six um, episodes. Uh, pleasingly so, um, my mind had condensed a lot of the events um, into something much smaller, um, more suitably movie length in, in my head versus the three hours it actually takes to to watch these. Um, in, in one go so yeah uh, that's Zerum uh, the OVA series or Iria Zerum the animation uh, if you'd like to send in um, comments or questions to the podcast uh, we we fully accept those um, I encourage it uh, send in reviews that would be great too uh, if you'd like to come on and uh, talk about any of these things uh, I have no problem in uh, having a guest on uh, you can uh, look us up on iTunes at Hard Rock Saves the Space Dandy uh, or you can find us on Twitter at Rock Space Dandy uh, or myself on Twitter at Sentient underscore plus I'll have the um, contact information in the notes as usual uh, or I guess as moving forward and with that we'll see you next time uh, on episode 3 for the first Zerum live action